Welcome to the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, the interview series. I'm Gary Lawless, and today we are joined by George McPhee, president of hockey operations of the Vegas Golden Knights. George, thanks for your time and welcome to the program. Thanks, Gary. Well, we are under pretty extraordinary circumstances. The NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has paused the season. Uh, The Center for uh, Disease Control has said there will be no large gatherings for 60 days, gatherings of more than 50 people. And uh, the the National Hockey League has elected to, to follow that recommendation. And then, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But we are... In a in a tunnel of the unknown and the unexpected, and um, from a guy who played in the NHL, has been uh, a general manager in the league for for more than twenty years. These are uh, I have to ask you: Is this the most extraordinary set of circumstances you've ever seen? Yeah, uh, yeah, it would be. Uh, we, we've all been through. You know different uh, crises before, whether it's nine uh, eleven, the economic crisis of of oh eight, um, you know, sort of thing we went through here uh, in year one on October one. But obviously, this is uh, this is global, and uh, it's a global health crisis. It's that's also now a global economic crisis, and um, you know, confident we'll find our way through. But the next few weeks are, are going to be difficult. I think. Yeah, well, let me ask you, you know, what's it like for you? You, along with Kelly McCrimmon and uh, and Bill Foley and the, the, uh, all of your, your scouting staff and hockey operations and really the entire Vegas Golden Knights organization had built a, has built a team that is a contender for the Stanley Cup and then to kind of have to have it have pa- hit pause hit with no understanding of when play may get hit again. Uh, this these are these are strange days. Yeah, I think that when this first happened, we were all uh, wondering, okay, how quickly do we get back to work? Um, what does this mean? It felt really strange to suddenly not be playing, to not be practicing, to not be getting ready for the next game. Um, that's all now taking a back seat, needless to say, to this to this health crisis we have, um, and that. Uh, you know, we'll stay in the backseat until we get this crisis taken care of. Uh, get the, we got to come out of the other side of this crisis and then we can get focused on hockey again. And, um, but it's, we sure miss it. It's, it's, uh, you, you, you know, I don't think any of us ever take the game for granted. And we're, we're very fortunate to be part of it. Um, I feel very, very fortunate to be part of management, uh, now and for all these years. Um, and, you know, to be, you know, in the middle of a practice, in the middle of a game, there's nothing like it. Uh, I, I enjoy watching practices. I enjoy watching great athletes and coaches work in practice and, and do the things they do and, and work on their execution and, and talents. Um, to be in the middle of a game at this level and be part of a team is really something to experience. Um, and and boy, it, when it disappears as quickly as it did, it uh, it really takes some uh, some kind of adjustment. And the first two or three days of this, you're like, you're okay. Well, we can get through this. Now you're on day ten or day fourteen, whatever it is. It's not easy. It's you know, it's like the ri- the rhythm of 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 hockey life. You know, we go to a you come to practice and and. You know, you have your perch where you watch it, and I watch it with with Shane and Dave and uh, and Dan Duva and the, and the rest of the broadcast crew. We watch it from our spot, and we you know we talk about line combinations. We you know we guess about injuries and all mm-hmm. of these things, and it's like I just I love those moments. It's it's fantastic, and then it builds to game day, and. You know, listen, I have my role and it has nothing to do with the outcome of the game. And no one does, right? That that's You've done your job and then it becomes the players and the coaches and, and how they execute. But that doesn't mean we don't care. And I'll tell you what, George, like I, 
all those little moments, like getting on, you and I often get on an elevator after a game and it will take the elevator down from the press box. And if it's a win, you know, we might look at each other and not, not, we're not laughing or joking because there's staff from the other team are on that elevator, but we'll look at one another and kind of, okay, we got that one. Then after a loss, like I get on that elevator and I stare at my shoes. I don't want to look at you and you don't want to look at me. And, uh, like, I'll tell you what, I'd love to be looking at my shoes tomorrow night. I, I miss those mm-hmm. moments. Mm-hmm. Well, what we all learn, um, when you're at this level is that it's, uh, it's life consuming. Um, and sometimes at a great personal cost, the, this business can be hard on your family and, and, uh, you, you sort of become cloistered. This is, this is all you know. This is all you do. Every once in a while, you can escape with a good book or something, but not for long. Um, but this is, you know, no one's telling us we have to do this. We're doing it because we really, really enjoy it. And, uh, and I, I just, I love the challenge um, that hockey presents. It's a constant and endless education. We're learning all the time. And, um, and you just mentioned you sit there and you watch practice, you look at line combinations. When you're watching practice, we're, you know, when you're in management, you're looking at everything. How is the coach coaching? What are the drills like? Are they the, are they the right drills for this team? Um, how are certain players doing? Is someone trying to get through practice uh, that's injured? And boy, can they really go tomorrow night or not? Um, all of the different things that you process. And again, in management, you're thinking, okay, where are the weaknesses? What can we improve on? And it's just, uh, it's consuming um, because you allow it to be, but it has to be if you want to be good at this level. And so... Um, I, I sure miss that and um, and hope we get back to it soon. But um, it, it really is a privilege to be able to do it. Yeah, we. I have tried to look at this. You know, I, I, I try to be a positive person and always look for when you're hit with a negative, where's where's the positive from this? And so, you know, uh, my right now, my little girl is down the hall. Uh, my nine-year-old daughter is doing her uh, her virtual learning. My wife is uh, is doing a virtual workout with uh, with her friends at her gym, and uh, um, so we're together. And yes. and that is something like you know. Last night we were you know staring at each other, and my daughter was dragging a little bit, and I said, you know, I could be on the road, and she said, okay. And kind of <laughs> grasp that you know. Didn't okay. take much. No, yeah, the old man's around. So yeah. uh, So we sat down and and we decided we were going to watch uh, Downton Abbey uh, as a family. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm making yeah. my sacrifices, George. Yeah. <laughs> well, we 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 certainly have lots to be thankful for. Um, there are some people out there that are really struggling, and uh, and it's going to take a while for them to get back on their feet. Um. I think we're all trying to make the best use of our time with our families. And, and I feel lucky and blessed that my whole family's here. Um, so uh, I, I, we're enjoying every day with one another. With one another. Um, but um, we're mindful that other people are, are struggling here. And this in Vegas is getting hit really hard economically, maybe more than any uh, city in this country. Um, you know this 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 economy and this town is based on hospitality, and uh, and and so a lot of people are uh, in this town really struggling. Yeah, I didn't mean to be glib or make light of it. I'm, but you're the, we're I'm isolated within these walls, right? With we're with my family, mm-hmm. so that's the yeah. obviously that's the first thing that uh, that you have to take care of. But yes, uh, you know, talking to. Um, my neighbor is uh, is a CFO with one of the one of the big uh, hotel chains, and I and our friend Randy Morton at the Blagio, like they're going through, um, you know, they're not to mention 
you know, a, a guy up the street is an eMERGE doctor and he is, mm-hmm. you know, I see him driving down the street, going to the hospital at all hours of the day. And I, you know, I just kind of, we have to be really thankful for those, for those people on the front lines. Yep. Yep. No doubt. So what are, uh, you know, the, the business doesn't grind to a halt. It keeps moving. How are you spending your days right now? And uh, how are all of our hockey operations crew, what are they up to right now? Well, there are lots of things you can do. Uh, certainly uh, review how things have gone and revisit your blueprint. Have you stuck to your blueprint? Oh, you know, we're, uh, <clears throat> we're in year three and I really like uh the way things have been going for our club. Um, you know, we started the season a little slow. Um, we had three players injured. I believe it was Tuck, Schmidt, and maybe Eakin. And then the hidden injuries, we had three guys that were hurt late in the summer in training and missed a lot of training time. And they were really behind when we got going. And it's pretty obvious. Um, but we really, uh, we stuck to our blueprint. Uh, we made uh, a good trade for Chandler Stevenson. Uh, again, the, the, the right kind of fit for us, a guy looking for an opportunity, a second chance. Um, and he's come here and played really well. Um, Nicholas Waugh has come in and played very, very well for us. Cody Glass uh, played well for us. Um, so... You know, you, you take a look at all that and say, are we making the right decisions and, and how are we doing? Um, you know, had to make a difficult coaching change, um, but it's going the way that we had hoped. And so, you know, you review all those decisions and I certainly like what we did and certainly like what we did at the trading deadline. We addressed needs and um, and, and 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 did it well. So those are the types of things you can do. We've, we've looked at the team. We've talked to our amateur staff. Uh, we've talked to the pro staff. Um, we've, um, you know, tried to, to work on some things uh, with respect to our American League team, what that might look like next year. Um, we've signed uh, Zach Whitecloud. So um, there's never a shortage of, of work in this business uh, right now. Um, we're able to do it at a, a pace that's a little more reasonable than usual. And uh, so those are the things you do. I think it's Lou Lamarillo saying, and maybe he borrowed it from somebody else, but he said uh, when it comes to making decisions or doing anything in, in business, if you have time, you use it. So this, mm-hmm. is, uh, this is an opportunity to, to, to get ahead on so if, if, year one, you went to the Stanley Cup final and then, you know, woke up the day after uh, that, you know, you'd been eliminated and it was like, OK, the draft's in two weeks and free agency is in uh, in three weeks. We got work to do. So now mm-hmm. you have a little bit of you have a little bit of uh, track ahead of you. And and like most people, you're looking for an edge. And what, what can we do to get that edge to be? Uh, a better organization uh, coming out of this. Mm-hmm. So those are, yeah, that's the, the sort of, uh, that's what you, you look to do. And whenever you stop playing, uh, it's, it's basically, okay, next year starts tomorrow. Let's get going. And uh, this is no different. I think people take a little bit of a break, but then you get going again. I personally get up in the morning, try to get some exercise. And then the next three to four hours are totally dedicated to the organization um, and then, you know, mid to late afternoon, it's, it's more about family time. But, now, um, what, mm-hmm. uh, you, you mentioned uh, making a coaching change and I've watched you go through trades and seen how hard it is for you to, it, it, it can't, it's gotta be authentic. You can't be fake in this business and, and not, if you're going to care for the players, they have to be able to see that, and it's important, and it has to be real. And I know with you, it is. Um, it must be, and I know you've really you've you've made coaching changes along the way. Uh, it, it can't be an easy thing to do. Well, it it, it never is, and um, um, you have to. This is a difficult business. Um, 
you know, again, we're all in it because we enjoy it. It's a fun business, but it can be really challenging. And you meet some terrific people. And every once in a while, you have to move along and make changes. Um, as I've always said, the organization comes first. The individual comes a close second. And um, But it, when you're in management, you have to make tough decisions. And you have to have a front office that has the guts to make them, to make those difficult decisions. Um, I think to a lot of people, the coaching change was really unexpected. Um, caught a lot of people off guard. We had our reasons for doing it. Um, wasn't easy to do, but uh, we made that decision. And, um, and, and we like the way the team is playing now. And so, you know, if you're running your organization the right way, you can't look the other way on things. You see something that needs to be addressed, you have to confront it head on and address it. And uh, so we did that. And, um, and then, you know, you get to other decisions. Uh, trading a Cody Eakin wasn't easy. Yeah. A real, real quality guy. Um, uh, you know, I've known him a long time. Kelly's known him a long time. Uh, Kelly knows him from Winnipeg. I know him from drafting him in Washington and can't believe that I've traded him twice. Um, he's a good player, but, you know, sometimes, you, you know, again, you have to look at the organization as a whole and figure out what you have to do. And the salary cap is a real factor in that. It requires that you make trades from time to time. If you're a good team and you've got young players pushing to come into your lineup, um, you have to make room, not only for them, but with the cap as well. And uh, that, that means that you have to trade some players uh, that are a little older, making a little more money. And um, But it doesn't mean you love them, that you don't love the players. You know, it's hard to move some of these guys. I worked in... Uh before you brought me to Vegas, uh, I was always on the media side and the, the players weren't numbers to me, but, uh, you know, they were, if a player played poorly, I would write it. And then you'd go into the dressing room the next day and the guy would look at you like, Hey, you know, it wasn't always lovely. It wasn't always warm. Then you come to work for a team and you become, uh, you become part of the team, you know, like when this team won the Western Conference Championship in Winnipeg, I got off the elevator and walked down the hallway. And uh, first guy I saw was Kelly McCrimmon. And, you know, we had a big bear hug. But then one of the players came by and, you know, put his arm around me. And, you know, and it was it was very different for me in that, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm part of a team. Cody Eakin, I've known him since he was 14. That's the first time a player had ever been traded where – uh, in my house, like my daughter has her jerseys are all 21, her Golden Knights jerseys. And, uh, um, you know, it was like I told my wife and daughter, Cody, Cody just got traded and my daughter started to cry. My wife started to cry. And mm -hmm. and I was and mm -hmm. I was personally, you know what I mean? Like I quickly, you know, I have to move on. I had to work. But I sent Cody a, a long message and. He phoned me later on and we had a really good chat and it probably will, may, may not ever happen again for me, but, uh, it was, uh, that oh, it was, will. that was a different one for sure. Yeah, it will. And, you know, trades will continue to happen in this business and, uh, it should never get easier for you or for me to see someone that you had here and that you like a lot, uh, have to go. Yeah. Well, I really liked what you said earlier. The organization comes first and the individual a close second. And, and I, I, you know, because you do struggle with the du like the duality of loyalty. You know, you're loyal to the players, but you have to be loyal to the organization. And that's a that's a concept that uh, that, that is it's a, it's hard to balance in your mind sometimes. But just the way you said that, I thought uh you know, that that really makes sense. And a lot of people well, should go ahead, please. Well, it's hard I, because I, 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 I have loved the, the chemistry that we've had throughout this organization since day one. And when you're moving people out, you worry about that. 
how does that affect our chemistry? How does that affect this organization? Um, you know, the players to me are in a lot of ways like your own kids. You know, you, you're there for them at all times, trying to make sure everything's good in their lives. Uh, you try to teach them as best you can and they go out and do what they do. They'll make their mistakes and uh, but they'll make a lot of good decisions as well. But you're there for them. And at some point, they've got to get out and, and do it on their own. Um, but it's hard to to let one of them go. Really I've, al- I've always wanted to ask you, I'm going to segue here a little bit. Uh, uh, you were a really good junior player and could have gone and played, uh, uh, I guess it would have been called the OHA back then, the Ontario Hockey mm-hmm. Association. And which was major junior. You could have gone and played there, I'm sure, right? Oh, I know for a fact you could have. You chose to go to college and you're not, you weren't the prototypical college player because, uh, you could fight and, uh, and we're, we're, we're pretty good at it and you could play a physical game. Why'd you go to college instead of, instead of go play junior? Um, <clears throat> lots of reasons, really. I, uh, I didn't think I'd ever, uh, be able to play at the pro level uh, at five foot nine, 170 pounds. Uh, I just didn't think that would be possible. Um, and, you know, I was a blue collar kid. My folks didn't have much. You know, we, we went paycheck to paycheck. And there was an opportunity there for me to, to go to college for four years on an athletic scholarship. And, uh, and know where I was going to be for the next four years and have a roof over my head and be fed and everything else. So um, that was as much a motivating factor as any. And uh, I remember I was drafted by the Hamilton Finn Cups. They had a pretty good team. I think Dale McCord had just left the team. Al Secord was there. Uh, Willie Huber was there. And I went to camp, and I think he could only stay three or four days in those days. And I, but I went down, and I just after a couple of days, thought I was doing well in the camp. But I, I really wanted there. I don't know that I didn't know that there was a future, and I, I really wanted to go to college. And I was the first generation college guy. My my folks didn't get to college, and so um, for the, those reasons, uh, I wanted to go and. Uh, and went and, and needless to say, really enjoyed it. And it changed my life. You know, I got one degree and then several years later, got another and and uh, sort of, I guess it opened the doors uh, to this level. It must have been, uh, it must have been an easy decision in, in that time. But uh, the pursuit of education, I think, is, uh, it, you know, Obviously, that really has, you just said it, it opened a lot of doors for you. Uh, but then you did find out that you could play pro hockey. You were one of the best college players in, uh, well, you were the best college player uh, in uh, in the United States. You won the Holby Baker and uh, and had, a, had that really great experience. But then, so you go from Guelph, Ontario to small town in Ohio where you're going to school and then New York City. What was, George, what was it like for, for you to walk... Uh, to walk into Madison Square Garden and to be, you know, in Manhattan and part of the New York Rangers right out of college? Well, that was, uh, fortunately for me, it didn't happen right away. I had to go to the minors and play and develop a little bit. And that was easier for me because I wouldn't have been able to handle New York. Uh, the Guelph is a small town and Bowling Green is a small uh, area. The, the student body was 18,000 students, but the uh, the city was small. Um, and I liked it small and easy. And uh, and so uh, it, it worked. And then I turned pro with the Rangers and played in Tulsa. I remember uh, my first experience at Madison Square Garden. I'd been called up in the playoffs at the end of my first year, at the end of my rookie year. And uh, we started the playoffs in Philadelphia and played the first two games there. And that's, at that time, it was best out of five. And we won the first two games. And I remember Nick Fatio telling me, you know, you won't believe what it's going to be like when you get back to the garden. It'll, it'll be <laughs> so loud. It'll raise you. The hair in your arms will be raised up. And, uh, and he actually, I got there, 7 o'clock game, I got there about 4, 4.30. And he said, come with me. And we're in our hockey underwear and we jumped on an elevator and we went to the top of the building and the elevator opens up 
And you have this perfect sort of vista, this view of between the seats, you go right down and there's the logo of Madison Square Garden and the New York Rangers. And uh, that was quite a sight. I, I, and I'm, I'm glad he uh, showed that to me. And then needless to say, the, the game was incredible. And uh, we won that night and won the series three straight. Um, so that was a, New York was a big, big adjustment for me, but I really, I guess I was venturesome enough that I wanted to try different things. And I, and I did, I ended up working on, uh, uh, Wall Street for a couple of summers while I was there. And then when I went to law school, I ended up, um, interning with, uh, uh, a judge in the U S uh, court of international trade in lower Manhattan. So I was coming in and doing that and, um, Overall, it was a tremendous experience once you make that adjustment. And New York was a, you know, a a pretty fascinating place. You got to meet Lou Lamarillo when you went to play for the New New Jersey Devils. And uh, I know he's been pretty impactful. And uh, actually, everyone talks about Lou kind of as he's remote. And uh, um, I didn't have a relationship at all with him when I was on the media side. And uh, I did develop one with you, but since I've started to work for the Golden Knights, uh, I've had a couple of occasions to have uh, small conversations with him. And, uh, you know, I happen to think he's one of the smartest guys in hockey. So the opportunity to be around him is, is for me, is really cool. What was it like for you? Well, uh, I, I think Lou is one of the best managers of all time, um, one of the best hockey minds of all time. And, uh, one of the best people, period, uh, that I've ever met. Um, he's had an influence on a heck of a lot of people. Um, and he will do anything for you. Um, and, you know, I, I guess we can talk about different anecdotes. And I, you know, such loyalty to him. I don't even know if I should share this one, but um, because he wouldn't want it out there. But uh, I got sick one summer after the draft. Uh, I got uh, meningitis. It just came out of nowhere. And I guess, you know, you're, you're shaking hundreds of hands when you're at the draft and whatever. And I went on vacation. Didn't feel right uh, that summer and, uh, and ended up, uh, you know, this is my first experience of being quarantined. But... Uh, and I got a call out of the blue from Lou Lamorello. And nobody knew. My wife knew and our team doctor knew. I don't know and I'll never know how he found out. But he got a call or I got a call from him. And I remember his, uh, he, he, he just, it's, it's usual, hi, George Lou. And he said, whatever you need, you say the word. I'll get you a helicopter. I'll get you a boat. I'll get you whatever you need to get you out of there and home or to the right hospital. And there was almost anger in his voice. Like he, he wanted this, he wanted to make this so he wanted to make it happen. And that's just who he is. And again, to this day, I have no idea how he found out, but he does that for everyone all the time. He will move heaven and earth for people that need help. And uh, he's one of the most unique uh, people I've ever met. And it's one of those blessings of being able to work in this business at this level that you get to meet people like that, that your life intersects with people like Lou Lamorello or Pat Quinn or Harry Sinden, uh, really uh, amazing people. You know, I was listening to something the other day and uh, Brian Burke was talking about Pat Quinn he was talking about the way Pat Quinn dressed, and uh, he just said Pat looked fantastic behind the bench, and he always had French cuffs. I think Pat's line was, "Gentlemen wear French cuffs," and he uh, <laughs> had them in, in all his suits. Uh, you liked working with Pat, didn't you? Sure did. Yeah, he's uh, uh, again uh, one of those special people that. Uh, you know, you, you you don't know how your life intersected and, and why, but uh, it was a privilege to work with him. He was a big, intimidating, square-jawed Irishman, 
He'd walk into his office and he'd be sitting there just a mountain of a man with a cigar going. And you ask him, he's got a couple of minutes and you present what you need to present because you're working on either contracts for someone on your staff or one of the players or the radio deal or whatever. And he was a fantastic uh, listener and a, a deep thinking guy. And he would just sort of, he'd stop everything and he'd listen to you and he'd uh, tell you what he thought. And But you're on your own, you know, you have to make your own decisions. But um, but he'd back you up on everything. And every once in a while, he'd tell you a joke and make your day, but but you, but you get going. And uh, he had really, uh, at that time in my life and getting to know him, one of the highest standards of, you know, ethics and honesty. And boy, he was, you know, over the years, when you talk to people that had played for him or worked with him, uh, boy, there wasn't, no one really ever really had a bad word to say about Pac Quinn. It was all, it was all praise. He, uh, I, you know, I got to know him a little bit um, when he was in the NHL, but then more after when he was kind of, maybe he was doing some stuff with the Olympic Committee and doing some stuff with Hockey Canada. And uh, um, I got to know him a little bit then and had him on my radio show a couple of times. And uh, that mixture of like, razor sharp intelligence mm-hmm. but also like a like an a overflowing personality mm-hmm. was was so unique he was like you knew you were talking to the smartest guy in the room but he was also uh could be really funny and uh and engaging and charming not many people he's 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 an authentic a true original well he had a real presence and he could have been successful in anything that he pursued. As, as you know, you could sit there and talk to him about anything, whether it be the law or politics or geography, whatever. Um, he was a he was a brilliant guy. Um, and what I admired most about Pat is he had time for everyone. Wherever we went, someone wanted to say hi to Pat Quinn. Someone wanted a minute with Pat Quinn and he made time for everyone. Well, that brings us to another guy who uh, has, uh, you know, I, I call, I like to call you guys the two headed monsters. And you, you, I know you don't like that. You said to me, we're not monsters, Gary. I'm talking about you and Kelly McCrimmon. And, uh, I, you know, I was driving around, I was driving home from work one night and, and the phone rang and it was Kelly and he was the owner, general manager might not have been the coach at the time, but he was running the brand of Wheat Kings. And the Toronto Maple Leafs were after him. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I, you know, I, I personally didn't think it was a good fit. And uh, we talked for a long, long time. And, you know, I, Kelly McCurman makes his own decisions. But part of his process was to talk to a few people. And I was lucky enough to, to, to get that call. Well, he decided it didn't work out. He decided not to go there. And then the next summer, you know, the word was that uh, the Edmonton Oilers were were kind of going after him. And then he, out of the blue, he phoned me and he said, he said to me, you can't tell anybody this, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to go work with, with George McPhee. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, how the hell did that happen? And mm-hmm. he said, uh, he goes, well, at the time, he goes, I'm really not sure. Uh, but uh, he did say to me, he goes, we had a short call in the morning and then we had a long call later on. Can you just take me through that process? Like how you're you're the general manager of the Vegas Golden Knights. You and Bill Foley have come to an agreement and you're populating your staff. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon's in junior and you're you know, used to be you'd never been in junior. You've been in the NHL for most of your of your arc. How did you find Kelly? How did you come across Kelly and how did the match come to be? Well, um, I, I guess it starts with what we were trying to accomplish. And, you know, Bill had made the decision to hire me. And I had a lot of questions for Bill about how this was going to work and how the command structure was going to work. And he assured me that we make the hockey decisions and um, that he'll want to be involved. Um, but we know the sport he doesn't and uh, he knows how to he, you know bill could run a business in his sleep and he's run this one very very well 
And so it starts there. And so we, we you know, we, uh, we wanted to populate the organization, the, the org chart, I guess, with hardworking people, low ego people, really smart, talented people. And the final um, a bullet point would be, you know, the, the people you trust, you know, not only on the ice. I mean, do you trust that player that, that's inside the jersey, but in your front office and uh, throughout your organization and not trust in terms of, you know, will he support me and my decisions and everything else? Trust that, he, you know, willing to make the hard decisions, you know, that will, he'll say no when everybody else is saying yes. And so anyway, we started that way. I didn't know Kelly. Uh, I, I, I do recall that the, the, our scouting, our amateur scouting staff in Washington always said good things about him and always talked about, you know, here's a guy who running a very, very successful junior franchise that that and he's done it. Uh, you know, he's not writing checks to do it. He's doing it by going out and scouting hard. And, you know, he's managing the team. He's coaching the team. He's scouting for the team. He's running the business. Very, very talented guy. And um, so, and it was interesting. I just finished reading Bob McKenzie's book. I forget what the, the name of the one. It came out with it a few years ago. Hockey Confidential or, or yes. Hockey? Yeah, okay. Yes. All right. Yep. And uh, I thought, geez, Bob would be a good guy just to, to call and say, you know, here's my list of guys I'm considering for uh, assistant GM. Do you have anybody that I should put on this list? And he raised Kelly's name. And he raised it and, and then sort of, you know, it was just enough to say, for me to say, you know what? Yeah, I should talk to him based on what our scouts have always said about him. I should talk to him. And uh, we had our first conversation. And uh, and it wasn't long, but I was like, geez, I... I I really like the sounds of, of this guy. And, uh, and then we talked again. And then, boy, in a matter of days, things were done. And, um, you know, you, you trust your, your instincts uh, as a manager. And it, it just felt right. And uh, I crossed my fingers and hoped that it was right. And, boy, was it ever. You know, looking back on that. I, I think Kelly is as good a hockey man as there is out there. Uh, as I said, he's coached, he's managed, he scouts, he's done it all, and he's done it all very, very well. And I really feel fortunate um, to have met a guy at this point in my life um, that I admire as much as Kelly. It's it's another one of those guys. I, You know, there are the Lamorellos and the Quinns and Burks and all these wonderful people out there, the Bob Ganeys, um, Doug Armstrong, Harry Sinden, um, you know, just so many quality people. And, um, you know, hiring Kelly is, you know, it, it's just become, a, a, in my mind, a, a great friendship and a, and a terrific working arrangement. He's very, very smart. He's very much his own man. Um, he works as hard as anyone that I've ever worked with. And, um, you know, it's, you know, for him and it's, it's what we all wanted. It's, it's not about the individual. It's about the organization. It's about everyone in this organization having success, not just uh, a few individuals. So, um, I'm, I'm delighted, uh, that, um, that we made that decision, um, together that, I wanted to hire him. He wanted to come here. It's worked. And then um, I really felt with the way things were going and his influence in the organization, um, I did not want to lose him uh, this past summer. Um, he would have been hired by someone else. And I thought it was in the best interest of the Vegas Golden Knights uh, to make him the general manager, to keep the, the continuity and the consistency of this organization going. Um, presented it to Bill and Bill, you know, said, as long as you're still the boss, I'm okay with it because he wanted to keep Kelly as well, but um, wanted to make sure the working relationship would be there. It's better. The, the relationship is better than it's ever been. And, um, and 
you know, it, it, it'll never come to me having to make a final decision on something because we both get there together. Um, so well, you didn't do that. You didn't when you were the GM and he was the assistant GM. You didn't make decisions by yourself then either. It was no, always no. like from the moment I got here, I was struck by we have two GMs. Like it was, it, it was, it was a partnership. Like you divided in the expansion draft, you divided the league in half. I'll do these GMs and you do these GMs, and you worked together. Well, obviously, you had the title and uh, and and Bill's trust, and could always make make a final decision if that was, if it ever came to that. But I was like, what? Well, Listen, I don't know. I haven't been in the room for everyone. Maybe there has been a time when you've said this is the way we're going to go. But uh, it, from what I have seen and witnessed, and I've been around for since before the expansion draft, you've done it together. We have. And I, I promised Kelly that if he came to Vegas, um, because I, at that point, I, I, really, I really thought that he would be a good fit. And I liked how we were getting along on the phone. And... Um, I thought if he came, that it'd just be another, you know, really good piece for this organization. And we were going to try and fill this organization with the best human talent that we could find for every position. And and that was a big decision. That was a, an important position in the organization. So we got that right. And, and, um, and so I told him, you'll be involved in every single thing we do here. Every decision that's made, you'll be involved in it. And it started with, you know, getting ready for the expansion draft. I said, Kelly, you take these teams, I'll take these teams, and away we go. And that's the way we've operated. And, you know, every once in a while, you know, someone that's, that's leading the, the front office has to listen to everyone says and close the door and sit down and make a hard decision about something. Can't say that I've had to do that. And again, I, 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 this is a partnership for me. Uh, it's what I told him it would be at the beginning. Hadn't planned on it being that way, but just in the way we reacted or, or interacted, I thought this could work this way. And uh, I think it's been very, very healthy for the organization. Um, we get along. People see that. We trust one another. And in some ways, I, I think this business really needs that. You need mm-hmm. you need uh, really knowledgeable uh it's, it's, it's not one guy anymore. Uh, there are some special people like Lou Lamarello that can still pull that off. But um, this is a hard business and there's a lot to it now. It's not a mom and pop operation anymore. I would. Uh, so I do. When I started, when I came here, I wasn't supposed to be involved in the in the radio broadcast. And then turned out that uh, that that's that became part of my portfolio. But in the first year. I only did one period a game until we got to the playoffs and we weren't on TV. And then I started doing three periods. So there are a handful of games where I would, you know, be in your suite on the road uh, during intermission, you know, talking to you, to you and Kelly about something. And um, yeah, a couple of times, you know, it, one of you said, sit down and sit here for the period. And sitting in between you two guys for uh, for a period of hockey, it should be the ultimate hockey fantasy prize. Like seriously, <laughs> if you're a real hockey fan, you you could pay a hundred grand for this opportunity, and you'd walk out after a game, and you wouldn't think you were shortchanged because <laughs> <laughs> you're intense, and Kelly is he's intense as well, but sees the game. In a, in, in, a, in a really unique way because he's owned a franchise, he's coached a franchise, and he's managed it. He's done all those pieces of it. And so he has a, he has a different way of looking at it. And, you know, you've been a general manager and now are a team president and you're the guy that you, you're right below the owner. So there are different aspects, uh, I believe to watching you guys and that just your different personalities. Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't shut up very often. I don't think I said a word during those during those experiences. What's it like for well, What's it like for you to share the games with Kelly and with Bill? Yeah. Um, well, with respect to Kelly, Kelly watches a game as if he's coaching the game. Um, who's coming up next? Who's doing the bump up shift? Uh, you know who's you know who's going out in overtime? Uh, and 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 I think he's. 
you know, he's watching the other team as much as he's watching ours. Who are they putting out next and what are the matchups and so on? So that's a, a pretty unique perspective. And it's what, uh, I used to enjoy with, uh, Pat Quinn when we, when we worked together because Pat had coached, uh, for so many years and was an exceptional coach. So, um, you know, so Kelly and I talk about the game in that way. And then, you know, I'm watching individuals and how they're performing. And so, um, we go back and forth. There's some humor. There, uh, there are some moments when we're frustrated. Uh, but there's always a dialogue. There's always a play by play between us. And, um, it's, you know, it's educational. It helps you handle the stress. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty unique experience. Um, with respect to, uh, Bill Foley, I spent the first couple of years really trying to explain to Bill everything that was going on and not, and this is not just from what's going on on the ice, but everything like what's going up on the, the video scoreboard. I said, Bill, I'm not sure we need that up there. That, that, that's not whatever it is. It doesn't fit with what we're trying to do and we should change that or, um, you know, I'll point something out, you know, we were having issues here or there and I'd say this, it shouldn't be this way. I would recommend that we try and do it this way. And Bill would take it all in. Um, and, and I spent again, the first couple of years trying to explain to him everything that I thought was going on, on the ice and off the ice. And now he's cognizant of a lot of those things. So, he gets to watch the game a little bit more without um, being interrupted and without me uh, whispering in his ear uh, or yelling in his ear because it's uh, so loud in the building. Um, and so and now he watches the game and we make a few comments back and forth, but it's, it's um, you know, it's more at the end of a period or at the end of a game that things are said. And Bill's been great. If we lose a game, he's not happy, I'm not happy, Kelly's not happy, and we don't say much. If we win a game, we talk about, well, this is why I think we won, and, um, and, but there's still room for improvement, and this is what we, what we should be doing. But it's, it's, I, I, I really wanted, um, the three of us to be sitting together as we are. So, um, you know, if Bill wants, to know what's really going on from a hockey standpoint, we're right there. We can explain it to them. And, um, and it just works. I think it's really helped our relationship. We're all in this together. Bill sees firsthand what it means to Kelly and I, how intense we are. Bill's every bit as intense as we are. Um, and, and so um, I'm glad we did it that way and we continue to do it that way. Um, because it's, you know, the chemistry works in lots of different places, not only on the ice, but behind the bench, in the front office. And Bill's been great. We win a game, he'll come in and pat the guys on the head and go in and have a quick beer with the coaches. If we lose, he doesn't go anywhere near it. And either do we. I remember I was on an elevator with you after we won somewhere, somewhere on the road, and I was, I was, I was irked about something, and I said, I said to you, I said, blah, 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 didn't like this. And you looked at me and said, Gary, don't criticize the wins. And uh, <laughs> that, stuck, that stuck with me. Um, this has been great. I just want to ask you one more thing. The, the, it was a blank canvas. It was, it was a desert when you came here. And, you know, you built a, you built a really good hockey team. You built a, a, a really a first-rate practice facility for the players. Now you've purchased an American League team. You've been to the Stanley Cup final. You've been to the playoffs uh, in your second year, and you were first place in the division. Uh, right now, as as we pause, uh, they're, they're, well, they're building another rink in Henderson. How important is the growth of hockey here uh, and, and making hockey you know, intrinsic with life in Nevada. How important is that to you? Uh, it means a great deal to me. Um, I think some people are maybe astonished at what 
we've accomplished here when you talk to people that come in from out of town and see our brand everywhere in this town, um, to know what we've meant to this community. Um, you know, I was getting my second shot as an NHL GM, and you figure you'd be better the second time around than you were the first time around. I think we built some great teams in Washington. We wanted to do the same thing here, but we wanted to build a really great organization and really wanted people who were either local and touching this organization in some way or from outside of Vegas tuning in to watch us on TV and watch our broadcasters and listen to our folks on radio, whatever, that this was a really, really professional organization, that people in this organization really knew what they were doing. And so when we were doing the search to hire people, we we kept that in mind. And to see the activity when we are, when you know, when you're not in the middle, midst of this uh, health crisis that we're in, the number of people that are coming in and out of this facility at, at uh, City National Arena, uh, how we fill T-Mobile Arena and what an experience, what an atmosphere that is, to have an American League team coming here, to having all of these kids, boys and girls and adults um, playing hockey or figure skating here or going for public skates, it's a remarkable, remarkable thing that we've done, and I will be forever proud of it. Um, but the challenge doesn't stop there. You know, it, it, we've done a good job. Everyone, I think, would agree. We've done a good job, but uh, we'd love to win a Stanley Cup. We, we'd love to do that. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's why we're in the business. I, you know... Love this business, I always uh, will. Um, but boy, would sure give anything to bring a Stanley Cup to Las Vegas. And uh, every GM in the league is saying that, um, that they want to do that. Um, I've been in this a long time. I've been to the finals several times. I uh, haven't won, uh, but would like to, you know, if we get that chance again, to win it and deliver it here. Well, this has been uh, fantastic. Uh, we kind of got around a whole bunch of stuff and uh, I could spend uh, another hour with you, but I know you can't spend an hour, another hour with me. So uh, we'll call it here. That was George McPhee. I'm Gary Lawless. You are listening to the Sheriff Lawless and some guy named Dave podcast, the interview series. Thank you for listening.